Hello, welcome to Eval Edge, the new communication product from European Evaluation Society. With Eval Edge, we hope to bring you up to speed on innovative ways of conducting and thinking evaluation. With me, I have Dr. Valentine Gandhi, Tom Ling, May Petrigaret, and Elena Lapu. Valentine, do you want to tell us what is the topic of today's podcast and also who is our guest? Thank you, Mariana. Uh, today's topic is innovations and evaluation and applying frontier technologies in the field of development evaluation as well as in our projects. And I'm very excited to introduce Linda Raftree, who is our first guest. And uh, Linda supports strategy, program design, research and technology in international development initiatives. And she's the founder of Multech, which is a conference held in London, Joburg and Washington, D.C., and it's, uh, it's a cusp of monitoring, evaluation, research, and learning and technology, which Linda will talk more about. I'm very excited to have her as our first guest. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm excited to be part of this first podcast for, for the European Evaluation Society. Um, so the first question we want to ask you is, given your experience organizing Multech uh, conferences over the years and also as an ICT4D advisor, and uh, text alone host. Uh, what, are, what do you see are the emerging clusters of innovation with regards to frontier technologies, as well as corresponding evaluation methods uh, that you see, especially in terms of emerging themes, and how can we apply some of these technologies with regards to MERL or MERL? We have just finished actually about a year and a half of research trying to figure out what is you know, a framework that we could think of for understanding innovation and new technologies in the field of monitoring, evaluation, research, and learning, which we say MERL. Um, and so the, the things that we've been seeing, um, we looked at the past five years of kind of emerging trends with technology and divided those into these three kind of waves of innovation that we're looking at right now. So the first wave mm -hmm. is, you know, um, thinking about mobile phones, thinking about um, more traditional um, types of evaluation and how those have been improved through the use of technology. So you've got, you know, kind of databases and, you know, ways of managing information, you know, on computers, people using social media, people using Skype, um, just all these kinds of things that we've always done as evaluators um, and how, how new kinds of technologies are kind of coming in to strengthen or make those um, things that we've always done easier or more effective, more efficient, more um, cheaper, um, able to scale more quickly, helping us to manage information and understand information better. And that's kind of the first wave that we saw. Um, and we call that mm -hmm. sort of the traditional, the traditional wave. Um, and then we're seeing, I guess, um, really over the last three or four years, this kind of massive interest in big data um, and new kinds of data sources that are coming in. So people are looking at how can I understand what's happening on different types of social media and pull that in as a support to maybe qualitative um, research that, that I'm doing for an evaluation and, and really thinking through um, you know, some of these new kinds of data that are coming in. What does that data allow us to do? There are some challenges with it, which um, I think we'll talk about in a minute, but um, really lots of potential for, for having new kinds of data and new sources of data, new sizes of data data from different places that we didn't have access to before. And then the last area that, that we're looking at, it, we're calling emerging technologies, and that's really um, 
thinking about things like um, backend data on websites, um, administrative data that might be sitting somewhere that no one's actually taken a look at before, application data. So every time you use your mobile apps on your phone, it's you know all kinds of data is being collected about you. Sensors, drones. Um, also thinking about new ways of storing data, which um, Val, you're a big expert on blockchain. Um, so thinking about you know what what is the potential for blockchain in the space of evaluation, whether evaluators using it or evaluating or thinking about it as a place to store data or incentivize people. Um, and then we're thinking also about data processing. So that's um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, text analytics, sentiment analysis. Um, there's just a lot of really emerging things happening um, in the space. And I think, you know, just as a, a timely thing, um, you know, we're recording this kind of in the middle of, of this crisis of, of COVID-19 and really seeing now something mm -hmm. that's really exploded is um, just the, the remote, the remoteness, you know, everyone is stuck at home, everyone is working from home, everyone's trying to avoid being out and spreading this thing or, or cap catching it themselves. And so everyone is trying to figure out right now, how do we, how do we gather online? How do we communicate online better? How do we, you know, continue our work remotely? And so I think that's an, another huge exploding area that we're going to see in the next few, um, few months and probably over it will change how we work. That's awesome. Uh, thank you, Linda. Just uh, follow on questions. Um, in terms of, you mentioned about emerging technologies. There's a lot of hype around some of those technologies uh, pushed largely by the private sector or the technology innovation companies. While there is merit in a lot of these technologies, uh, how can organizations like yours, like Merle Tech, uh, and how can evaluators come in the picture and solve some of the issues around this hype and actually make these technologies uh, usable or apl applicable to development interventions? That's a, that's a really good question that I think about a lot. Um, you know, I do spend a lot of my time with technology, but I'm, I'm actually quite a technology skeptic um, because it, it makes me nervous when we start applying you know, new technologies in ways that might be harmful or ways that might not actually, you know, be allow us to interpret data um, correctly, or we might not have you know, representative data or valid data or, you know, correct data. And so, so I think evaluators have a big role to play one in sort of guiding the way that some of these new data sources and new technologies are used um, and really thinking through the ethics piece, really thinking of the, of the, you know, the so as well as the so what, um, and really making sure that when we start to incorporate some of these new tools and technologies, we're doing it in very ethical and thoughtful ways that are actually aimed at solving the problem that is at hand. Um, sometimes we try to apply technology to problems that can't be solved with technology. If it's not an information communication, um, you know, sort of management issue, then maybe technology isn't gonna help us. So, so I think evaluators have a big role in both shaping the way that we're using technology in our practice. And then I think a huge, huge, huge role in evaluating technology for development programming and thinking about when organizations are incorporating digital tools and technologies into their regular programming, making sure that evaluators really understand the role of technology in society, the role of social media, the role of information in the way that, um, you know, that, that behaviors are changed through these new technologies and new ways of sharing information. Um, really being up to speed on that as evaluators is going to help us understand um, you know, society better and understand the real impacts of different types of um, 
of, of, of programming um, so that we can do better evaluation. Thank you, that's excellent. So Tom and May, how does what Linda is saying resonate with you as evaluators yourselves or leaders in this field? Sure. Um, the, I, the importance of uh, evaluators engaging with new technology in order to help society to shape its use, I think is really fundamentally important. And I think that um, you, you and, and Linda were both making reference to the hype that surrounds uh, new technologies and what they're supposed to be able to deliver. And I think that uh, being able to challenge that uh, effectively, but not from a Luddite point of view where we're just opposed to any change, but through a deep understanding of what it can contribute as well as what it cannot contribute is important. And I was really pleased to hear Linda talking as well about the ethical dimension to this. And this will be really about uh, in, you know, who is benefiting, whose, whose interest is this in and how is it working through? And that's especially true in international development where uh, I think new technologies uh, have the potential to shift power either north or south. And as evaluators, we want to really work to ensure that it's shifting power towards poorer communities and that those, those that are most directly affected by the challenges that we're seeking to address through our international development programs. Thank you, Tom. I hand it over to Elena. Uh, it would be nice if uh, before we start speaking about uh, how technology can promote, promote the use of evidence by common citizen, if Linda mentioned how those technologies were actually uh, absorbed and uh, distributed uh, in the world in different regions geographically. Um, sure. So I think in terms of the distribution of, of technologies, it's, it's really varied um, across the world, but it's also varied in countries. So it, it's hard to say, um, you know, this country has a lot of technology and that country doesn't because what we see is the inequalities within countries in terms of technology access and use. Um, and so I think that's one thing that usually if I'm working on a, a different program or, or project that's going to be using technology, whether that's for an evaluation or if it's for an implementation, well, the very first thing that we want to do is understand the, the context and understand the people that we're expecting are going to use the technology. So um, I was just in, um, in Lebanon last week, and we were working um, with a team that has you know, amazing technology potential um, working right on the border with Syria. Um, but then you might go to a different part of Lebanon to a different organization that might have quite low capacity. So I think it really depends um, on individual organizations and individual um, you know, income classes and Sometimes it depends on all kinds of other things, you know, on gender or um, age or, you know, so there's really quite a variety of, of access to technologies in different parts of the world and within, within countries and um, even within families sometimes. Perfect, thank you. May, do you have any, any comment on this? Um, Linda, the discussion we've just had there, what you've been talking about is fascinating and it's clear that you are concerned too about the ethics of um, these new frontier technologies. And it seems to me that although we're not exclusively concerned with mass level data, it is a particular attraction of these kinds of technologies where we can generate big data and look at things at a, 
um, a level of analysis that allows us to incorporate huge amounts of data on a particular topic. And that leaves me to answer, ask the question, particularly in a context where you're looking at programs and where there's beneficiaries and beneficiaries who are quite often in a, a vulnerable or disadvantaged situation, how these technologies can help us deal with the individual, the individual level of experience. And does that tend to get lost when you're using these kinds of technologies because you're fo focusing on the mass output and mass analysis rather than the individual experience. And if you could talk a little bit also about some of those ethical problems and what should we as evaluators consider? Should we be beginning to be moving towards some kind of um, set of principles that we ought to act by when we're using these big new frontier technologies in our work? And what might some of those begin to look like? Sure, um, that's actually what a lot of what I specialize in, in you know, when I'm not running World Tech as the conference is thinking about privacy and, and safety and safeguarding and data security. Um, and I definitely think it's something that we need to bring to the space of evaluation. Um, I think sometimes organizations might be a little bit dazzled by, by different offers for big data, for example, when there's a corporation that wants to provide you with free big data services or things like that. Um, we really need to think about what kinds of information we're, we're sharing um, and do we have, you know, do we have any type of consent or do people understand what's happening with their data? Um, how are we protecting it and what are the things that, that we might think that could be really cool but maybe that's not a great idea. Um, a lot of that right now, places that I have the concerns are around use of location data and we're seeing interesting or cool data visualizations where people are using are using GPS to track or to, to map um, population movement or to, you know, there's a project that's out there that looks at um, what are children's school routes um, in, in an interestingly visual way. But I have a lot of concerns about, um, you know, kind of geolocating vulnerable populations because we know that right now in the world, a lot of those vulnerable populations are being targeted, whether that's by governments, by you know, militias or groups that want to do them harm, whether that's by white supremacists in the United States, whether it's, you know, individuals, whether it's, you know, so, so I have a lot of concerns about, um, you know, about our use of, of location data, whether that's for individuals or for groups. Um, there's also some concern around, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, representativeness or data quality and selection bias within some of these big data sets, especially if we're working with populations that don't go on a line as often or might not be producing the same amount of data. So they can really, you know, your big data, unless you know how to do it properly, which, you know, I think there are a lot of people working on this and trying to understand how to make big data sets more representative, but you can really lose particular populations within a set. For example, if, um, you know, I, I'm not saying all, you know, all women don't have access, but if you're working somewhere where less women are going on a particular website or using social media, you're gonna have much less re representative data of, of women, for example. Um, if you have language barriers, if you have economic barriers, those data sets are not gonna be as, um, you know, neutral. So I think a lot of times we hear people saying, with, if we just, you know, use, use big data, we'll get this objective data, which, 
maybe, um, maybe it will be objective, but, but there really needs to be a lot more scrutiny of these kinds of, of data sets to see whether they are representative. Um, and then thinking about big data and data modeling, if we're, if we're modeling on historical data, um, we know that that historical data can be biased in the way it's been collected. So if we've been collecting biased data over the past several years and we use that data to model predictive analytics, we could be you know, introducing that kind of really heavy bias into predictive analytics that we're pulling out. And often, you know, I live in the United States, we, most of our historical data is very biased against people of color. Um, particularly against African Americans and, and black people living in the US. And so there's been a lot of literature written about how we really need to be very careful if we're trying to use predictive analytics and big data um, because it can really impact on people's lives in very negative ways if, if we're not quite careful. Thank you so much, Linda. Um, I really liked how you started going into the nitty gritties and bringing us real uh, stories. Maybe um, before we, we move to other questions, I would ask you and Val to, um, what stories fascinated you? What keeps you, when you think about new technologies, innovations in evaluation, what are the um, impact stories that you've seen that keep you uh, with hope that uh, this is really uh, becoming big and can influence all of us in a very positive way. It, one is a project I, I was familiar with a couple of years ago, but I, I liked the setup of the project because they were using satellite data to understand forest conservation, but they had also were combining that satellite data that they they could understand, you know, forest deforestation based on the colors and kind of the, the satellite imagery, but they were linking that in with local um, indigenous groups that lived in the forest and were concerned about deforestation. Whoa. And so they had allowed them to provide um, sort of feedback or report back on, you know, on the validity of what the satellite imagery was saying. So I thought that was quite interesting because it was both high tech, but also very personal and very linked in with, with organizations of, of you know, local groups. I did have a few concerns about could reporting directly on a phone, um, could that put someone at, at high risk if there was a lot of contention around deforestation, which is something I would have wanted to look at in that particular project. But I think that's an interesting example of, of how to use, you know, sort of very high tech as well as, you know, very easy to use and, and bringing in um, voices of folks that are quite, you know, intimately affected by that problem. Um, and another one that I've just seen come out um, is that I've seen a, a challenge fund come out that's looking at, um, it's a text analytics um, challenge, looking to find patterns and ways to kind of sort through all of the things that have been written up to now about the COVID-19 virus and to try to pull out models and patterns and understanding and meaning from those massive amounts of data that are starting to come out about the virus so that then we can start to, um, you know, apply new ways of thinking about how to, how to kind of solve it. So I, I don't know a whole lot about that. I've just seen the call for it come out, but I think that's another really interesting way of thinking about using text analytics and text modeling to apply it directly to a particular crisis. Um, Another thing that's happening quite a lot, um, if, you're, if you're reading the news, and I think folks that work with civil liberties are, are quite concerned, is um, there's a lot of individual location tracing that's being um, suggested for, for tracing and tracking coronavirus. Um, and that could be amazing.
amazing or it could be absolutely terrifying um, depending on your perspective and depending on um, how effective it actually is to, to be able to contain or to, uh, to trace and track people and, and prevent the spread of, of the virus. So there's a lot, of, a lot going on right now if you're interested in the use of big data or mobile data, um, call records, location data. There's a lot of um, people are suggesting different ways to use that to monitor the spread of the disease and to work with containment. So those are just a few things. I mean, Linda mentioned big data, which is gaining a lot of tractions. Recently, I uh, supervised a PhD student who was looking at the perception of uh, climate change using Reddit comments, uh, and he tried to map uh, uh, the policies uh, associated with a particular uh, state in the U.S. or a region in the U.K. and how people's behavior, uh, uh, people's perceptions in the internet kind of shaped their uh, counselors or the local government officials and they were made to vote in the paper based on how people uh, think and, and they, he used sentiment analysis to uh, and also uh, web uh, crawling techniques to use those comments and create a model. Uh, so big data certainly as uh, Linda mentioned uh, is something that is of huge use but if you approach it with a structure and also with the right principles in place. And that is where evaluators come in and also development professionals come in. The, it's not really about whether or not uh, technologies are capable of something, but when we introduce technology in a given set of population without understanding the socioeconomic conditions or the ethical challenges that exist in that society, uh, and, and most often than not, Tom raised this and Linda also mentioned about this hype Technologies tend to be like a solution looking for a problem or a hammer. If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind of a situation. And that's what unfortunately happens with some of these technologies. Uh, and an important factor here is technologies or even ethical frameworks stop at looking at bias, uh, which means whether or not people are excluded, but it doesn't look at concepts of oppression where structurally people are oppressed. And when you throw technologies that can divide and push people further into uh, exclusion or social discrimination. These factors are not often looked at even when there is a ethical angle being considered. So in terms of emerging technologies, big data for one, for sure. And then related to that is uh, drone-based data, uh, mobile positioning data, uh, which is really looking at uh, migration flows, refugee flows, and and things like that. These are emerging technologies. And the most important thing that is gaining traction is artificial intelligence and use of AI for uh, data modeling and data tools. Um, just want to follow up uh, as Linda talks says, we have this uh, principles for digital development, which is widely adopted all over as a framework to adopt uh, technologies for development. In your experience, uh, are they complete enough or is there some other frameworks and what can we do as evaluators to develop a comprehensive framework for adopting frontier technologies? I also take the opportunity to invite uh, Tom and May um, to shortly comment uh, what Linda and Val just described. These are times where following what uh, Valentine was saying, it would be very interesting to start mapping out these challenges at an ethical level and look to see what kinds of frameworks and principles we could put together that would allow us to act 
in a way that fully supports innovation, further development in these technologies and evaluation, but also shows full respect for persons' individual rights and allows us to act in a way that's fully ethical. May, Tom, Linda, Val, thank you so much. Thank you all of you for being with us. And above everything, thank you for the listeners of this first um, EES podcast and, and good luck and stay safe.